And so for me, this became like the icebreaker. And a lot of women have stories and women close to us, but we just never talk about them. And, you know, like I say, you know, once you, you speak about it, you break the hold it has on you. Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and enjoy what PageCast has to offer. Sue, I'm so excited that we are doing this. It's I love I love one of my favorite things to do is to to interview authors. So it's just been a real treat. And uh, I know that narrowly speaking, our undertaking today is to talk about your latest offering, which is when secrets become stories, women speak out of which you are the editor. But I feel as if it would be remiss of me first to not talk a bit about you, your success as a novelist, your writing process. I feel like possibly I would find myself at the wrath of your <laughs> readers if I didn't kind of delve a little bit into um, Sue and not just uh, the latest work, which of course we will do uh, in, in just a bit. But I know a little bit about you. I know, mm-hmm. and, and I know a little bit about you because we're both kind of in the literary world. I know a little bit about you because I know a few people who know you I know a little bit about you because I've researched you yeah I what I know about you is that you were born and grew up in Buluayo you were raised um on a on a large freehold your parents had a market gardening business right yeah uh, in addition they had they I mean they both were you know professionals but yeah they also had this marketing gardening thing going um so you know dual income what do they call it now <laughs> Um, yeah, many sources. Yeah, dual of income. <laughs> well, <laughs> in yeah. terms of your literary memories, what would that look like? I'm always so fascinated to hear from writers, from authors, what their earliest memories of literature, of storytelling were. Whenever we talk about literature and books, I think for me, you know, just the love, my earliest memory it was in a Fair Lady magazine, actually. So I had this, we had this neighbor, Mrs. Williams, Joan Williams, and she always used to give me, you know, magazines that she no longer, you know, read. I used to cut out the pictures and write stories around them. Mm. So for me, that was, you know, the fascination of, of the actual writing. You know, as we grew, we were exposed to a lot of literature, mainstream European literature, because that's what was taught. You know, the school I went to, we didn't do African literature. Mm. We, We just focused on European literature. And a lot of the books I was exposed to didn't have African characters. There were very few. So for me, I think that's when the thirst began because I was like, you know, I'd, I'd like to see more books with people like me, stories about yeah. me. So when I started writing, I, you know, I wanted to write our stories. So it was that, you know, that dearth of books. I mean, most of the literature that we consumed didn't have black people. So for me, that dearth of, of literature with blacks, where blacks were the main protagonists, really, you know, really drove me to want to then write about Blacks and write write our own stories, you know, and the the black lived experience. So that's you know, that's my my story. Do you remember the first book that you picked up and read, and you were seeing somebody or reading about somebody in that book who mirrored you in that way? No, you know, there was never any. Like if I, if I think of all the books that I read, none of them had any black 
black girls that married mean anyway. I know about you that you, as much as you loved reading as a as a child, you love writing. And the reason that I know that is because I'm a friend of a school friend of yours who you, tells me we used to read Sue's books when she when we were at school. That amazes me. How old were you when you wrote, wrote your first novel? I was 13. That was insane. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so for me, that was my first like foray into having an audience. But I used to, when I used to write the books, I used to do it like on a, an A5 exercise book and have a cover and a, a cover design. I would present it like a book or, you know, preparing, rehearsing <laughs> for what would eventually come. And so, and I became popular for my books in, in school. So everyone knew me for my books. It was Sue's books. And once the class, that class had finished, they passed, you know, they were passed to other classes. And then my book started to move to other high schools. And it was always interesting <laughs> that they would come back intact. No one ever, they didn't get lost. And there was always a rule, like it's one night only, like a, you know, a video hire, you know, you know, that, you know we used to have VHS tapes, videotapes. <laughs> and you could only have it one night. And you were lucky if you took it on Friday because it meant you at the weekend. But there was always pressure because there was only one copy. <laughs> but it, it was a system that worked. People just read. Yeah. So those those books, those early days books were your inspiration. You'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I, your inspiration was the Sweet Valley High series. You and I are of the same generation. Yes. Give us a bit of a, a synopsis, perhaps, of, of that first book. So Crazy Over You was actually like, you know, a high school romance. Yeah. Young love, you know, coming of age because the, the characters were of that age. But the characters in that book were still white. So at that point. Were they? I, Yes, I wasn't, I wasn't writing black characters. I only started writing black characters when I was 16. And so, like I'm saying, it, it took a while to transition. And then, you know, it's like you suddenly wake up one day and think, but, you know, why don't I write about black, black people like me? And, Did you, you know, question at the time, Sue, why you weren't writing about black people? I think it's because of, like I'm saying, the books I read were about yeah. white people. And I just yeah. thought, you know, it's just like, that's the norm. Got it. Until it occurred to me that, you know, there's no reason why I can't write black characters. Why can't, yeah. you know, when I was much older, it was, you know, I was like, but why, why, why aren't my characters black? Was being a published writer always the goal? I don't think I said it in, in so many words, but I just knew that, you know, I wanted to have a book out there. I mean, the writers that I grew up seeing, you know, Yvonne Vera, Chenjirai Howe, Titi Dagarembo. So those were the, you know, the writers that we knew about like black writers right that were in my immediate world so i want this is what you know i want to be like her somebody once said i don't know who it was you're only a proper writer once you've had three books published or something you're only a proper author once you've had three books published which i think is a load of nonsense but i mean you have had yeah. you've had three novels and you've had and you've had when secrets become stories yeah. i wonder and i'm now in the process of doing my my second book and what i'm seeing now and you will be able to speak to this is first of all it's very easy once you've done the first book or for me it was to go that was a complete fluke i look back on that now and go i don't even know who that person person was who wrote that book how did I do that I, that was you know that was just sort of crazy I can't believe I've done that and now that I'm in the process properly of doing the second one it's like being pregnant it's like I'm remembering what it was like yeah does that make sense you kind of go oh yeah this is how I write again this is this is what I do and and this is what these these are the um sort of surroundings that I need in order to write well and for me it's silence I cannot have I can't have noise, which is why I do a middle of the night writing thing, because I just can't, 
I'm, I've got a very short attention span, I think, and I'm very easily distracted. So I have to write in the middle of the night. I have to disconnect my internet from my laptop or before I know it, I'm, you know, Googling, I don't know, dogs on skateboards on YouTube because I, I am a procrastinator. What have you learnt about, in a qualified way, about your writing process and discipline? Okay, so to start off, like, like you, I like silence, right, when I write. Right. And no music, nothing, just silence, me and my thoughts. And that's why I actually enjoy writing at that 3 a.m. time, you know, that morning. It's, it's really quiet. But, you know, you know, as, I, as I've gotten older, I, I struggle to wake up at that time, right? So <laughs> I had to change <laughs> that routine. <laughs> and so what I try to do, like, is write in the mornings, you know. So it might not be at 3 a.m., but in the mornings after my son has gone to school because I also have that quiet time. So if I don't have any other competing demands, like I do a lot of freelance work, right? Then I can focus because I can have, I create that quiet environment and, and then I write. I think for me, the first book for a lot of people feels like a fluke, like you've just said. Yes. And so when you write your second book, I, I thought the second book was the toughest to write because you're trying to prove that, okay, it wasn't was you try to live up to expectations as well so when you're writing do you do you do you read a lot while you write read other things while you write or do you not do that at all like when i start to write i do stop reading other books right like completely because it's to drown out those other voices Mm. because i find then i have too many voices in my head yeah so like now i Although I'm writing, it's not really writing my novel. So I've been doing a lot of research. Like the novel I'm writing now requires a lot of research. So I've been actually focusing a lot on reading around research. So for the book. But I'm going to get in like in December. I'm going to start writing the book, my novel again. But I will stop reading other novels when I start that. Because I I find it's like like noise in the background. Mm, You know, it disturbs, you know, my, my thought process. So, yeah. So to answer you. I don't like to read when I'm writing. Let's talk about when secrets become stories, when women uh, women speak out. Why why this book? Why now? How did it come about? You know, after I wrote A Family Affair, right, which is, you know, a fictional narrative that centers, you know, gender-based violence. Yeah. You know, people came back to me and say, but why did you end the book like the way you did? You didn't give people hope. You didn't. And I was yeah, like, let's you know what? It, let's not give it away. We're not going to give away the ending, but yeah, why no. did you end the book <laughs> the way you did? <laughs> and I felt like, you know, people, some endings can be very problematic in the sense that you're selling people dreams. Yeah. Because if you've met, you know, women who've experienced gender-based violence and have actually left, there's this always myth that they end up with happy ever after, and sometimes they don't. And so I felt like I didn't want to sugarcoat things. There's some who do have, you know, those kind of, because everybody wants that sugar, you know, sugar, sweet, happy ending. And sometimes yeah. a, a happy ending doesn't necessarily look like sugar, but it's still a happy ending. That's true. And so I felt like I wouldn't be doing justice to the, you know, the topic if I didn't let them tell their own stories. Whereas mm. with my character in my book, it's a fictional character, right? Yeah. And I'm writing the stories of people who didn't survive. Mm. So that, that's what I was doing. And th- that was the difference between the two. You speak in the intro of the of the book about your awakening around your own abuse. And I thought that was so interesting because I 
I've had conversations with with colleagues and and with friends of mine, and we've told stories, and we've all told stories of how things have happened to us that at the time we didn't realise that the incident or the incidents, the relationship that mm-hmm. we were in was abusive and so it was interesting to me that you wrote about your awakening can you speak a little bit to that i first came to that realization through a book reading a book and later again when i was older when i read rami chwene's book Mm. where she spoke about her own abuse being sexually abused Mm. and i was like wow you know she actually put it out there and i reached out to her and it was actually the first time i'd ever spoken to anyone you know it's one thing to acknowledge that you are abused but it's quite another to actually talk about it you know? yeah and so for me that that sparked that conversation in a series of text messages we didn't speak verbally but you know for me that was the beginning and then i you know i began to think if if a book can you know affect you know me if i affect a person someone telling these stories and we don't often see that um i thought why not do this imagine how many people i can reach out to and and so that's how you know the idea came like why don't we write it in a book? Because I had actually given a talk, you know, previously to, to uh, you know, during the 16, you know, 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. And I actually yeah. spoke about my abuse in an audience for the first time to strangers. And mm. it was easier telling strangers, a room full of strangers. Um, and, you know, for me, that was so empowering, you know, like finally it's out there. Um, it doesn't, I don't need to, you know, the story doesn't own me anymore. It's just out there. And there was a woman in there who heard the story and, it changed her because she were she was dealing with her own trauma that she hadn't dealt with. She was drinking as a result of this trauma, and so m- me speaking about it also sparked you know her j- journey to healing. So it really then you know just solidified this thought that you know what, let's get talking you know about these stories. Let's write about it. You know, in the most strange way, like people I've known for years after the book came out, they said to me, "Oh, you should have asked me for my story." Mm. Women I've known, you know, for years, but we've never spoken about it. And so for me, this became like the icebreaker. And a lot of women have stories and women close to us, but we just never talk about them. And, you know, like I say, you know, once you you speak about it, you break the hold it has on you. Talk a little bit about how one goes about putting a book like this together. First of all, finding uh, the voices that you want and then and then bringing them together in, in this book. So, you know, it was just reaching out to different women in different places. I, I just, you know, I wanted to cast the net wide as well, because it's one thing with a book like this. I mean, I know in a lot of anthologies, people will get, you know, authors to contribute. But it's not every author that has a story about abuse, right? Yes. So, you know, I couldn't limit myself just to, you know, writers that I know or the literary circle. So I had to expand my reach. And it was, you know, even going onto Tracy Going's page, and putting out an uh, you know a call to women who were willing to share their stories yeah there and 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 I, and I got responses also from that group so it was just casting the net far and wide and other women who then contributed also knew a woman who had a story and it became like a word of mouth thing and uh, you know some women that I started with some some didn't submit okay so some yeah. found that in the process of writing they really reliving the trauma was you know became to, you know, something they couldn't, you know, get through. How much did you feel that you had to sort of hold space for the uh, the, the contributors to the book in the sense of honouring their stories and honouring their experiences? Because as you say, you know, this when you are when you are 
reliving an experience and then putting it out there I mean that's the title isn't it when secrets become stories and and the, yeah. the secret you know and, and and you speak in your introduction again about uh how shame is able to hide in in, in, yeah, in as secrets and yeah. yeah 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 so just how how much did you feel as a sort of uh yeah it was important to hold space and almost as a gatekeeper perhaps or a a, a, a protector of what was being shared with you given to you gifted to you no i just felt like whatever for me i'm just like a conduit you know yeah whatever's coming to i'm just like the conduit you know sometimes like you know how they say as a parent you don't own your child you just a vehicle yeah for your child to come through the child comes through you and so the stories just literally came through me to, to the rest of the world and that's how i viewed my role um in, in this whole process and there were instances where some women who, who had a story couldn't write it, right? Mm. They didn't, you know, could, they weren't able to articulate it, right? So right. they would send a voice note or something. And then I wrote some of those stories. It wasn't about them being able to write. It was all, I, you know, it was just having that story. And like I, I was saying to you, it was also important to show women from diverse backgrounds and race yeah. to show that gender-based violence is not discriminatory. You know, it's like it, we're all vulnerable. It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, you know, rich or poor, you're in the rural area or in the urbans, we all are potential victims. You know, we're all vulnerable. And I'm so glad, you know, these brave women came on board to help us convey that message. So was there anyone who wanted to contribute but wanted to remain anonymous? Yeah, some some women did remain anonymous. Right. Um, yeah, they did. And because, you know, they, there's still that secondary victimization. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and some women in, in my book, the ones that did contribute, were disowned, you know, as a result of the abuse that suffered. So really, some of them have had those ramifications already. So they've been disowned, they've been cut off, you know, they've suffered, you know, so the consequences of speaking out. So it's not easy. So that's why I'm saying it really takes courage to speak out. The book is one way, but I just, you know, want to say to other women, it's not the only way. It's not for everyone to put their story out there. That's one thing, you know, that also takes courage. Sometimes it's just, you need to speak to one person one person you trust and that's all you need who who would you ideally like to see this book fall into the hands of is it survivors of gbv that they might not feel so i for me i think it's victims of gbv yeah. my first sort of priority because i know how it feels like to be to think that you know you're alone and nobody else has gone through this but it's like saying you're not alone actually most importantly i'd also like men to read it they are the perpetrators of the violence yeah, And I think, it, you know, for them to also make, you know, introspect and reflect. The few men that have read it, I mean, and communicated to me, you know, have felt ashamed and they have encouraged other men. They, they said it was a difficult read and it should be because this is what women go through. And I don't yeah. think men understand at times what they put women through. So I'd like to, I'd like more men to read it, you know, just and introspect. That's all. Yeah, it's uh, often often when I read read books like this, and whether it be, whether it be, be around GBV or whether it be around um, race or whether it be, a, I, I often wonder that there's the hope and that that comes with people are speaking out and sharing their lived experiences, and then you and then there is the sort of the the thought where you think, but will it end up in the hands of the people who really need to read it? You you're raising a son, Sue, and so I wonder from from that sense, is it a book that you would? Oh, he's very he's he's what did you say seven. At what point would you be happy for him to 
pick up the book and read it? And and do you talk to him about gender-based violence and your own experiences of that? Because raising a, a young black man in, in the world that we live in, it's not, not for sissies, as they say. I do. I mean, with me, with him, it started with the very thing that I said, you know, no one should touch you. Yeah. Even as a boy, I mean, boys do get molested as well. Yeah. And I instilled that, you know, these are your private parts. Nobody touches them without your permission. This is, you know, I've already instilled all that. I mean, and I, the earlier we start, the better, because I yeah. think of myself when I was molested as a child. Mm. Nobody's had that conversation with me. So, you know, I, and I didn't know what was happening. Um, and I was silenced. But I'm thinking if I had, you know, been told that it was wrong, you know, I would have had the confidence to maybe to say, okay, what, what you're doing to me is wrong and I'm going to tell an adult. You know what I'm saying? It's just mm-hmm. it's being equipped with the words and, you know, and the, and the language for it. So for me, I was very, you know, deliberate with that. And even now he knows, like, he doesn't hit girls. Because I remember he told me this one little girl kicked him and he said, but I, I couldn't, I didn't hit her, you know, kick her back, mommy, because we don't hurt girls. So mm. it's those lessons, you know, you try and instill. Yeah. So that he, he grows up with them. Um, because once it's instilled, you know, every year, you know, it, it, he grows up knowing that we just, we don't do that. Yeah. You know, we respect, you know, and on principles. So it's, you instill those from a young age. And I probably, when he's a teenager, I think I'd let him read it, you know, um, now he's a bit young, but. I think we need to start. We, we need to start them young, to understand, you know, you know, kindness, respect towards women, you know, respecting other people in general, and just yeah. instill those principles from a young age. Yeah. But every time there's an opportunity to teach, you take it and, and teach that lesson. For for sure, for sure. We we started the conversation, Sue, and, and I and I said that it was um, I would probably make myself very unpopular if I didn't talk a bit about you and talk about your writing process. I would equally make myself unpopular if I didn't ask you, which is a question that authors hate being asked. But if if you are working on something, you alluded to to working on on a new novel that you're currently researching for. Mm -hmm. Are you able to tell us anything about that? Or are you in your head thinking, shut up, SJ, end the interview? Not at all. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's going to be different in terms of it's in the historical fiction genre. Okay. Yeah. It'll be riveting as usual. Yeah. Of <laughs> yeah. <course. laughs> look, I've started writing a bit of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing is with this book, it's something I wrote many, many years ago. Mm. So it's not a totally new book. I'm just rewriting a book that I wrote many years ago. Like, like you said before, yes, I've got, you know, four published books. But I have a lot of un- unpublished material as well. Yeah. And so I think what I want to do now is to rework a lot of that material. And this book particularly is reworking a book that I wrote many years ago. It's exciting. I think on that note, we can we can close off uh, leaving uh, leaving your fans, leaving your readers uh, in the knowledge that there is another Sunyati book to come. Do not fear. Yeah. Sue, listen, it's been an absolute <laughs> treat. I've loved this conversation. I've been so looking forward to, to sitting down with you and, and doing this. And I really have. I've enjoyed every moment. It's been a, a real treat. And I hope that uh, that everyone listening to PageCast has too. Uh, the latest book is called When Secrets Become Stories, Women Speak Out, of which uh, Sunyati is uh, the editor. But of course, you can get hold of her other works, The Polygamist, Gold Diggers and A Family Affair. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Sarah. Enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. 
we have an incredible lineup of author interviews. So head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast. <laughs>